All right, so today, giving in generosity, giving in generosity. We're going to start with giving today. We're going to end in generosity next week, but we're in the Thanksgiving season and coming up on Christmas, which, yeah, doesn't seem right, but we're here. Now that there's snow, it kind of seems like, yeah, that's probably right, but how are you, you've got to prepare your heart for that season. Otherwise, you just get caught up in all kinds of craziness, which distracts us from the very thing that is the focus of the season. So we're dealing with generosity, giving and generosity today. So today we're going to lay the groundwork, six principles, and then next week we'll get to do the really fun work of generosity. What does it look like for us just to be radically generous people that God just blesses all the time through us? How many of you know you have capitals in your life? You've got financial capitals, relational capital, you have intellectual capital. We have all kinds of capitals. And it is God's heart to show us how to live in radical generosity. It's fun. It's fun when you start to learn how to do that. The other way most people live is like with radical like poverty mindset, like I don't have enough love to give out to all these people. I don't have, right? Never enough, never enough, never enough mentality about everything in life. And how many of you know, once God sets you free to see, like there's a never-ending supply in him, like life gets light. It does. And when you realize you can follow his principles and you don't get used up and used and walked on, being radically generous doesn't mean you get walked on. It's actually really powerful to be generous. Okay, so we get to the fun stuff next week. Today we're going to lay the principles for giving because this is kind of the foundation. If you can't trust God in terms of what you have, it's really hard then to move to generosity. So um, we're going to talk about um, um, giving today. So principle number one. This is where you guys start. Principle number one, the spiritual takes precedence over the physical. That's the first principle you have to nail. And we've talked about this a lot in the house, but I'll just do a real quick. Hebrews 11, here we go. Hebrews 11, one. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned good reputation by faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. Okay? That's a big deal. What is he saying? He's saying all this physical stuff that we put our faith in, the stuff we can see and touch and the money we have in our pocket and all the physical stuff, He's saying, don't you realize all this physical stuff came from what you cannot see? God spoke, right? And from the spiritual realm, all this physical stuff was created. We tend to think if we can touch it, it's more real. And what he's saying is this physical world is less real than the spiritual world. Like, it is less substantial than the spiritual world. The spiritual takes precedence over the physical because the physical world came from it, right? This is why pain left some people's bodies a few minutes ago. Because spiritual, when we say in Jesus' name, he has covered this, he has bought this, pain go, well, why did pain go? Because this, the physical is not as substantial as the spiritual. What has happened in the spiritual realm takes precedence over the physical realm. Now, we often just live in agreement with the laws of the physical world and forget about the spiritual world, and so we, we stay in that place. But how many of you know, like, once you realize the spiritual takes presence over the physical, man, you can have peace that passes understanding. You can have joy that's unspeakable and full of glory because you're not just a victim of this fallen world and circumstances. You realize that if God has ordered your steps, there is no man who's going to shut a door in your face that he wants to open. You don't get worried when the economy goes into recession. Like, oh, Michigan's economy is not go doing good. Michigan's economy is not my source. The jobs available here are a resource, but he is my source. And my source isn't moved by the physical world. He's not changed by the physical world. The spiritual takes precedence over the physical. Come on. Come on, come on, come on. Well, you don't know this. So this broken in my life. I don't know. 
this person's mean to me and that person's this that, and that circumstance. This listen, we have to understand our authority and walk in it. If God has said it's true, it's true. My eyes are liars compared to what he says is true. That's what Job came to find out, right? Let my eyes be liars, but you are true. And he will and we will learn faith by hanging on to his truth when everything around us <laughs> looks the opposite. That's when faith begins to grow. That's when faith gets stretched. We tend to get upset like, God, where are you? Life got uncomfortable. <laughs> but the Bible says in those times you learn perseverance. Right? When your faith has to actually stand up, you learn perseverance. And you grow into something more than you were before. Yeah? The spiritual takes presence over the physical. So in this house, a lot of the things that we're hungry for are spiritual, right? We're wanting to see like bodies healed and people saved and transformation, people delivered and we want to heal the sick, raise the dead, deliver the oppressed, all those things. That we've got to really get this. The physical world cannot be the thing that occupies my mind and my heart and weighs me down. I've got to understand this. That I know how to fight through to victory. Principle number two. In terms of the physical world, money is the battlefield where we learn to prioritize the spiritual world. Money is like the kindergarten of the physical world because we all need it, right? You got to eat. And people tell you all your life, like, here's what you're worth. Here's what your time is worth based on the competencies that they evaluate. And we can begin to evaluate ourselves based on somebody else's assessment of our worth. So money becomes this battlefield where we really learn to prioritize the spiritual, what God says is true, what he says is true about things around me, what he says is true about me. Money gives us this challenge all the time. Money is the battlefield where we will learn to prioritize spiritual world over physical world. Principle number three, partnering with the Father in our finances provides a gateway to greater spiritual things. Money is like this kindergarten playground we get to really fight through and realize you're my source. Everything else is a resource. I can trust in you. My trust is not in my boss. It's not my paycheck. doesn't mean I go with a bad attitude, take this job and shove it. Right? I'm, not, I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying I know what my source is. It allows me to have a good attitude at work. Because I don't feel beholden, like you don't find yourself cowering and scurrying and saying dishonest things and flattering and, oh, right? You can live honestly because God is your source. Partnering with the Father in our finances provides a gateway to greater spiritual things. There is a parable that Jesus tells in Luke 16. We're just not going to have time to go through the whole thing. So you've got it. Luke 16, go through it. We'll go through a part of it. But in it, um, there, is a, there is a manager, there is a, an owner, right, a landowner, and he has three managers he gives different amounts of money to. To the one that he gives the most money, the guy doubles that money by the time the guy gets back. The other guy, who gets the second amount, greatest amount of money, he increases it. The guy who got the least amount of money buried it. And when the manager got back, he just gave him back what he exactly would have been given, and he was like, yeah, because I know you're a tough guy, so I, I didn't want you to be mad, so I just buried it, so I'd have it to give back to you. And the owner is not impressed. <laughs> Luke 16, 10 through 15. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy worthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. True, right? You can't serve both God and money. 
The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Think about, I mean, there's so much there. We can't go through all of it, but think about that. The things that our culture tells us we have to have to be something, to live the Kardashian life. Come on, these things are nothing to God, right? I mean, you have an entire generation thinking that they will do whatever it takes to get a little bit of fame, a little bit of money, so you can buy a new car and live kind of a lavish lifestyle. Like, how empty and I'm not just blaming the Kardashians. I mean, God bless them. You know, they're people made in the image of God, and he loves them, and I, I'd love to see them know him in a way that sets them free from that stuff. Come on. So I'm not trying to dog, but I mean, they do represent something in our culture. Something that's pretty depraved. Like, man, it is all about just the stuff you have and how you look and spending exorbitant amounts of money on stupid things. Do you know, like, if God, if God blesses you, if you were to have someone die and leave you a million dollars tomorrow, prosperity is not how much you have. Like, biblical prosperity. I'm not talking about 80s prosperity. I'm not biblical. It's, not, it's how much you give away. That's prosperity. Be, to be blessed to be able to say, I can reveal Jesus I can let people see through things. There are people where all they can see is the physical world around them. And when Jesus comes and meets a need in that physical world, they're able to look up and see spiritual things. How awesome is that? What does he say here? You've got to conquer money, the money issue, if you want the true riches of heaven. I don't know about you, but like healing the sick, raising the dead, delivering the oppressed, that's true riches. Seeing God's kingdom come and his glory come, to be able to operate with him in that way, that's true riches. I want to learn in this kindergarten of money how to trust him and put physical things in the right place because I want to go to greater places. Money is just a means to an end. Nobody actually really wants money. Not really. They think they do. They want what they think money can buy them. That's what they want. People's respect, maybe a spouse half their age, whatever it is. <laughs> but all of those things are longing for the real thing, and that is God himself in his presence. Come on. Come on. You gotta put money in the right place. Otherwise, you never go to the next place. Right? You gotta be faithful in this stuff. You can't be a lover of money and go what your, where your heart really wants to go. Even if it's deceived into thinking what it wants is these other things, what you really want is the peace and fullness that comes from his presence. That's what you want. The security you get from having a bunch of money in the bank like what you want is peace. That's why you want all the money in the bank. But how many of you know banks have collapsed before? <laughs> That's not true peace. Ask the Greeks. You can wake up one morning and the government just took 20% of it. <laughs> I mean, they took 20% of everyone's bank account overnight a couple years ago. Real peace comes from him. Come on. Come on. What he's talking about is not a heavy weight. What he's talking about is I want to set you free. We live in a very materialistic culture. Sometimes we can't even see how deceived we are by all the stuff around us. So if we want the true riches of heaven and operate in that stuff, we've got to conquer the money stuff. We've got to put it in its right place. We've got to be good stewards of it, right? Principle four. You are a steward. You are a steward. Now, we did some of this work uh, back in March. 
So we're gonna go real quick. You are a steward, what does that mean? That means you have resources. And those resources in your life, you command like soldiers, they don't own you. When you've conquered the money issue, no longer are you in a stranglehold with money, you command the money. Every dollar in your account, every dollar in your wallet is a soldier you command to do work. You're in charge. It's not in charge of you. What do you want it to accomplish? Okay, so if you're a steward, what does that mean? Will my glasses help me that far away? I don't know. If you're a steward, okay, no. If you're a steward, what does that mean? It means you don't own anything. Let it set you free. You don't own anything. My life is a vapor. Mine, 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 mine. Listen, I'm gone tomorrow. Come on, my life's a vapor. You don't own anything. God owns everything. That's the truth. God owns everything. If God made it and you have access to it, you are a steward. If God made it, which is everything, and you have access to it, you are a steward. You are accountable to God for how you work with what he owns, which in case you forgot, is everything. Right? Okay. How can I be a good steward? I can focus on the gospel, my things, I can seek wisdom, I can invest in eternity. And then what are the things that I steward? Well, there's five major categories. Money is a major thing I steward. It's his, but I get to steward it. Intellectual capital, I get to steward, right? My competencies, what I know, what I can do. My physical capital, my time, my effort, where I put it. And then I also get to steward my spiritual capital and my relational capital. You gotta steward your relationships. How many of you have discovered that? You don't steward it, things go bad pretty fast. And then spiritual capital, and these are in order. Money is the least, right? Some of you are paying huge amounts of money right now to go to college. You have traded, right, financial capital for intellectual capital. You want to trade up all the time, right? So money's the least, intellectual, physical's next, relational, and then spiritual. And the idea is you want to keep trading up your capital. You want to keep trading it up. So we're stewards, and we are stewards of these things. We want to steward all these five capitals God's given us. We want to steward them according to his principles, according to his wisdom, according to his direction. That's why we use kingdom tools in our relationships. I don't have permission to be destructive in my relationships. There are people I know, about every three to five years, they start over all their friendships. I'm not joking. Because they don't know how to steward stuff through difficulty, what happens when stuff finally, enough difficulties pile up, out the door. They don't know how to steward this stuff. I am responsible for how I steward all of these capitals that God has given me. And here's the cool thing. Because he shows me how to steward it, I can live in freedom. I'm not under these capitals. They belong to him. So when you come into a job and you realize I don't have the competencies I need, guess where you go? Jesus, help me. And guess what? Sometimes he will supernaturally give you competencies and sometimes he will give you direction of where to go. How many of you have needed to get better at something and God either gave you a person or a book or a class that just blew your mind and you were like, I didn't even know I could think like this. He's good. He's good. We need to be good stewards of what he's given us and so don't let that be a heavy weight. If you don't know how to steward something, go to him. Father, <laughs> I don't have what I need here. If you find, like with your relationships, you're not stewarding them well, go to him. Humble yourself before him and say, teach me. Teach me how to love well. Okay. So we'll come back from March, back to November. Here we go. You are a steward. Principle number five. The father always sets aside first fruits for himself. He always sets aside first fruits for himself. Of your physical and intellectual capital, he wants time with you. 
You can't just use church to steward your spiritual relationship. You need to know God. You need to be in the word. You need to talk to him. You need to cast your cares on him, right? He wants to know you. You've got to steward your capitals where he's coming first in all of your capitals. Um, when it comes to finances, which is a little bit of the groundwork we're doing today in giving, when it comes to your finances, first fruits are his. What you give to him, you give first. It kind of gets fun. There's times where you're like, God, how are you going to make this happen? How many of, I, I'm just going to tell you, when stuff is tight, one thing we have found, if you give to God first, there's always enough in the end. When you don't give to God first, there's never enough in the end. How many of you have found that to be true? Yeah, a lot of us. So first fruits, Proverbs 3, 9 through 10, but you can go through Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and into the New Testament. First fruits are his. It's just a principle he has. It says, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. When he comes first, he blesses the rest. Right? Okay. We're going to demonstrate that principle. We're going to demonstrate that principle. So I need some volunteers. We never do this kind of stuff. So fun. I need some volunteers. Mom, you look good. Come on up. <laughs> Come on up, Mom. Jeff, you look super excited to do this too. Come on. Let's do it. Todd, come on down. You're the next contestant. <clears throat> Lucas, you're so excited. We'll give you the speaking part, Lucas. Come on up. <laughs> Max. Oh, he's volunteering. Oh, come on. Okay, so here's what I need you to do. Mom, I need you to come right on up here and stand here. And then you guys, I want you to come and just stand in a line right next to her. Yeah, Jeff's going to be the catcher. If we need it, you're on, Jeff. Why don't you stand next to Grandma? Yeah. No, on the other side of her. Yeah, on the other side of her. Now, nice boots, Mom. Okay. <laughs> I have a Honeycrisp apple. It is brand new. It's shiny and it's super sweet. And I want to share this apple, this capital that I have. You can see where this is going. I want to share this capital. So I'm going to give a bite to everybody up here. So mom, why don't you take the first bite? Well, they want to see you take the bite, Mom. There you go. I'll get out of the way. Yes, yeah, so Max turned it around. I guess he didn't want Grandma spit, so there we go. Nice. Jeff's like, I don't care. I'll, I'll, all day long, I'll get that spit. Nice! <laughs> yeah, Lucas is like, no, I'm turning it. Like, I... I'm going to turn it. Okay, let's look at that apple. Let's look at that apple. There were, there were room for more bites, but nobody's got their hand up. So, okay. So, um, I did notice that Max made sure he didn't touch mom's bite, right, grandma's bite, because there was some grandma maybe spit there. Jeff is Jeff, so he didn't care at all. He was like, I'm, I think he actually even consumed like a bite in his bite, which is... You're brave. You're a brave man. Todd. Awesome. Lucas definitely turned it back around and said, I'm not touching anyone's <laughs> junk. Now, it's kind of funny. It was funny to see what Lucas would do after all those bites because we're all thinking about the spit, right? <laughs> Here's what would not have been funny in that scenario. If we had made Grandma Patty go last, what was funny might have seemed kind of mean. Does anyone see Grandma Patty have to deal with the guy's spit? Like, right? Right? If we put her last, it would have felt like, oh, that's kind of rude to do to your mom. Right? Why? Why did I put her first? Because the first place is the place of honor. That's where you put honor, in the first place. And what was that? Ha, 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 ha.
these guys equals and Grandma Patty had the place of honor. But what would have seemed less funny? Because nobody wants to see a grandma in the house who's praying for all of us and loving us and has lived a good life where she's invested. Nobody wants to see her go at the end, and right? Nobody wants to see that. Why? It seemed appropriate that you'd put your mom in the place of honor who serves others so well. The first place is where you give honor. So God says, bring me your first fruits. Because what you do first is what you honor and what you value. So does he need that? No, he knows who he is. Who needs to put him in a place of honor? Who needs to be reminded every time we come to first fruits? We do. Because it puts everything else in priority. Thanks, you guys. Thanks for being good sports. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. Here's a cool thing about honor and righteous people in honor. Did you notice my mom's bite was really, really small? She turned around. She had to see her bite into it. But she, what was she thinking about? Oh, these guys have to go after me. I'll try to make a really small footprint. How many of you know God gives back so much more than we give to him? His thing is not to take from us. He needs to be in a place, first place, first honor, first fruits. But man, his heart is to take from. His heart is to give. It's to give. And I'm not just talking about physical things. Money helps our heart get set because we, we tend to inadvertently maybe even put our faith in it. But man, he gives and gives and gives in every way. When you put the right thing, the righteous thing in a place of honor, it will always give back to you. When you put the wrong thing in your first fruit place of honor, it will enslave you. It doesn't care about you. He's the only thing that goes in that first place, place of honor. My husband doesn't belong there. My kids don't belong there. He belongs there. And then everything else goes right. All right. Principle number six. Last one for today. I know we've got a little long, just a lot of stuff in the service, and some of you are going to have to work and stuff, so if you have to go, don't, don't feel bad at all about that. Principle number six, live above the curse. Live above the curse. Specifically when it comes to our finances, we need to live above the curse. Malachi 3, starting in verse 6, says this, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how do we return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so there will be food in my house. Test me in this as the Lord Almighty and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. So think about this. All through scripture, God sets apart a, a something for himself. In the Garden of Eden, he said, this tree's mine. Don't touch it. Right? He set aside people for himself. This nation will be mine. Right? He's constantly setting aside for himself. And we see from the very beginning of scripture, there was this impetus to give back 10% of what God had given. We don't even know where it started really. It gets codified in the law, but it's way before the law. But this tithe, tithe means 10%. So this 10%, so he's going to Israel because by now it's been codified in the law. And he's saying, listen, you've robbed me of tithes and offerings. You're robbing me. And he says, you're living under a curse. Why not live under blessing? So think about this. When you read that text, does, does he delineate what the curse is? Does he go through and say, and here's how you're cursed. Lightning bolts will come and strike you when you leave your house. Like, there's no list of curses, right? There's no list of, what is there a list of? There's a list of blessings, right? And what is a blessing? 
listen, your, your animals, they're pregnant. They're not going to throw their animals early. Your fruit's not going to die on the vine. What is he saying? This is before Christ, keep in mind. Before new covenant, keep that in mind. What is he saying? It's my heart that you live above the curse. Because why is all the bad stuff happening in their agriculture? And their, why? Because through sin entering the world, right? Through the curse now, nothing's functioning like it should. And he says, but if you will partner with me, you live above the curse. The rules of this fallen world don't apply to you. Right? He wasn't saying, I'm going to strike you with lightning. What is he saying? Like, you can choose to live under this fallen world's rules, or you can live above the curse. And because you've robbed me, you're under all this junk from the fallen world. Get out from under it. Partner with me. This principle, I think, is incredibly important for us. Because if you think about, I know we talk about this all the time, but it's so essential. Everything gets broken in the fall. Our relationships get broken in the fall. Our relationship to God gets broken in the fall. Our relationship internally with ourselves gets broken in the fall. Our relationship to the world, physical world, gets broken in the fall. Sickness and death enter the world. Now work becomes very hard, right? This all gets broken in the fall. But what is Jesus doing? He is making all things new. We don't live according to the curse. We live above the curse. When I partner with God in my finances, what happens? I can live above the curse. Now the regular things that happen to other people, honestly, it's not that no bad things ever happen, but when that stuff happens, we're like, okay, God, you own everything. I've put you first in my life. So we're going to be excited to see what happens next. And I've told you some of our personal stories, just really quickly, um, just one, for those of you that are newer, um, we had been here for a few years, and my husband is brainiac guy, so he was working for a national company doing IT consulting. And they paid him outrageous amounts of money to do it. He just had to fly to whatever state they needed him in. Well, in one day, they just eliminated the jobs because the economy was turning down. Well, that's a shock, and there's nowhere in the area where he could use those competencies that we knew of, where he could earn the same amount of money. And we prayed about it, and we both felt like, man, God, we feel like you called us here. We don't, we can't, we don't want to move to Atlanta or to California or the places you would go to be near those hubs. We felt like we were called here so I could pastor. So we just got peace about it. So we're just going to do what you're doing. And over a series of, a series of events happened that are ridiculous, Ridiculous. We never lost one night of sleep. We heard from the Lord, we're like, we're staying, um, and we're just going to pray that God works it out, however he works it out. Through a series of events, his boss found out that um, because Mitch had worked for the company that had gotten bought out by this company, and the company before that, his severance package had to go all the way back through these like two or three companies, whatever it was. So they didn't owe him like severance for like a month. They owed him severance for six months. So he got a six-month check. We were like, oh, paid off vehicle. Like, awesome. The IRS contacted us three separate times to give us checks in the thousands. <laughs> Has the IRS ever contacted you to give you money? <laughs> I'm just saying, these crazy stories, they all happen in that frame of time. All of them. Crazy stories. We never, lost, we never argued about money one time. Through that. We never lost sleep over it. Because we were like, man, we know we partner with you. We're just stewarding what you've given us. You are responsible, <laughs> right, for what happens next. And we just believed like he would be. And Faithful, and I could tell you story after story after story, back when I was super poor, coming off of missions, um, a two-year missions thing, and, um, and the way that God provided that time was he opened up jobs, so I was working at a church, but I was making like $11,000 a year. <laughs> um, so I delivered papers. I got up at four in the morning, I would deliver papers, I'd work at an after-school program, and he, I prayed, and he opened up doors, and I felt, had a piece about, okay, I can work three jobs right now. I was still young. You know, sometimes it's because he gives you ways to labor differently or more. Sometimes there's these like provisions. But I'm telling you, when you partner with him, you live in peace. And he's got you when you partner with him. 
It may not be money circumstances, other circumstances in your life, and you're like, oh, you feel like a victim in this world. When you know who you are in him and you're partnered with him, you are never a victim in this world. This culture wants to make all of us victims. We are not victims. We are not victims. We are victorious in him. Do people do bad things? <laughs> Can people treat you badly? Mm-hmm. Do they get to decide and order your steps? No way. No way. What I want to see in this house is we come in next week to like just coming into generosity. How do we then just like live these lives of radical generosity? Now I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about way more than money. I'm talking about a mindset, right, that we live our lives out of. Um, as we come into this, what I, see happen to, what I want to see happen today is freedom come in the house. And I know for a lot of people here, like you could just testify. You've got your own stories. But I want us to live in a greater measure of freedom. I feel like Mitch and I, even though we partner with God, he's constantly revealing to us greater measures of freedom and trusting him and all the capitals that we steward. So if you would stand, worship team, if you would come. I'm believing for freedom in this house. Freedom, 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 freedom. And we need it. We live in a community that has a poverty mentality. Never enough. Never enough money, never enough love, never enough time, never enough energy. <clears throat> How many of you noticed that? People walk around downcast. We need to have breakthroughs, the people of God. So we live joyfully. We don't live under that heaviness, but we bring a lightness. And I know when you're under it, man, it's heavy. When you feel there's a desperation. Some of you in this house right now, you need Jesus to come. You can feel you are carrying a load. It may not be in financial capital, it may be in relational capital. It may be an intellectual capital. Some of you are feeling like, can I pass my classes? Can I do it? And you're needing God to come and show you, give you wisdom, give you direction. Come and take that load from you. I don't know why, but we so often feel like we've got to carry the whole load. Especially if we've made a mess in that area. Listen, he specializes in messes. You might have, you might have dug yourself in a hole you might have kept all your papers that are due next week until this week to do. You, you might have financially gotten yourself in a hole. Relationally, you might have a bunch of broken. Who knows? But the minute you invite him in, he will bring life. He begins to bring life. He doesn't call to you. You dig a pit for yourself and you're in it. He doesn't call to you from the top and say, hey, here's how you get out. He climbs down in it with you and he says, climb on because we're getting out of here together. Come on. So I want to see freedom in this house. I don't know what capital it is for you, but I believe God wants to bring us freedom. Freedom, 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 freedom. So there's folks here that can, that can pray. There's folks back here in that area. There's folks up here that can pray for you. Any believer near you can pray for you. We all have the kingdom without measure if you're a believer. But let's take some time. If God's stirring things up, just last year God stirred my husband up about finances. And we'd always been faithful in our giving. But man, we really realized there were ways we were doing our finances that once he revealed it just felt sinful. We were like, why do we have debt? Why do we have a mortgage? Like just things that he was, I'm not saying putting that on anybody in here, but he began to say, come further up and further in. And there's just ways we reorganize our, our finances in response to that call. You know what I'm saying? So it could be anything. It could be anything that God's putting on your heart. You might already be high up the mountain in this and he wants to take you to the next level. Nobody knows what it is you're responding to, but let's respond to him. Let's respond to him. What's he stirring up? What load does he want to take? What thing does he want to heal? What revelation do you need? Whatever it is, call out to him now as we worship. Don't just take this as information and put it on top of other information. Do something with it. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Father. He's worthy to be praised for God. He's coming on the clouds. Kings and kingdoms will bow. 
be singing. I'm not worthy to be even feeling happy or joyful right now. Um, sometimes I just think like the song is so good because just like despite what my brain is telling me and despite what I'm thinking right now, I'm still going to praise you. And that's just how you come over that is that you tell your brain to just be quiet and that you're going to continue to praise. And um, I just think that's that's just the renewing of the mind and when um, your spirit tells your flesh and your mind what to do. And um, so I just think like the song is just like, I don't know if that was for someone, if that was just for me, um, but I know my my mind is a war zone sometimes, and I just think like this, the song, if we could just go after it all together, um, we'll go through this a couple more times. I just really feel like we are going to command our bodies to align with the spirit, no matter what's going on in here, no matter what's going on in our lives, we're just going to keep praising. Is that okay? Okay, so we'll just go through praise. Your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on Despite what you're thinking, you just sing it out. Oh, your praise. Oh, your praise. Your praise will ever be on my Ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise. And despite what you're going through, he's worthy to be praised. Sing you will be praised. Yes, you will be praised. Yes, you will Jesus. 
Father, give us incredible courage. (laughs) And all the capitals that we steward, give us incredible courage in our relationships. Give us incredible courage in physical things that we could operate more and more in the true riches. Release our hearts from being enslaved to money. Father, we want to give you first in everything, the first bite of everything, the first bite of our time and love and energy and finances and everything, God, first in everything. And that changes everything that comes next. Give us courage to believe that what you say is true, the spiritual realm takes precedence over this physical realm, that we can trust you, we can link arms with you and see you do more than we could ever ask or think. We can't even imagine all that you want to do through our short lives. Help us to trust you fully. Help us to trust you fully, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you're in this house and you feel the presence of God and you think, man, these people know him in a way I don't think I know him, I want to encourage you before you go, find one of these prayer folks because you can know him starting today (laughs) the way we know him. No one's too far. so good. Would you sing this song with me? Most of you know it's old, 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 old. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. Friends may fail me, foes assail me. He, my Savior, makes me whole. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving. He is with me to the end. Aren't you glad he's a friend of sinners? <laughs> he's so good. We're celebrating Alan today. Make sure you give him a hug if you've ever met him. You can meet him. We need to move these chairs forward. And before we go, we're going to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Love you. God bless you.